We're in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 today. Matthew 24. This is the longest discourse on prophecy by Jesus in the Bible. Um, Matthew 24 and 25, two chapters together. And uh, we're going to actually look at more than that over the next several weeks, but we're going to start with Matthew 24 today. Air Force pilot Robbie Robbins flew 300 missions in the first Iraqi war. After his 300th mission, he got a surprise from the Air Force, and they said, gather your crew and fly your plane back home. Now, they had a long flight back to Massachusetts, and some of his crew then hopped in a car and drove all of the way to western Pennsylvania. His buddies dropped him off at the end of the driveway just after sunup, and he looked up the driveway, and he, he was stunned because there was a huge sign on the garage that said, Welcome Home, Dad. Now, he hadn't told anyone that he was coming. How did they know? How did they know? And he walked in his house. Uh, the kids were getting ready for school, and they just screamed, Dad! And then his wife, Susan, came running down the hallway, and she looked terrific. Her hair was all done up. And this is 1991, and she had makeup on, and she had on one of Robbie's favorite dresses. He said, how did you know? She said, I didn't know. Once we knew that the war was over, we knew that you would want to surprise us. And, and you wouldn't tell us when you were coming home. We've been ready every day. We've been ready every day. That's kind of an impressive story. Jesus said he was going to be coming back. He said he would return. He's coming back a second time. And he told us to be ready. That when he came, people wouldn't be expecting it. question for us is, we know all of this. Will you and I be ready when he returns? So we're going to begin this new series, The Longest Discourse on Prophecy uh, by Jesus in the Bible, called the Olivet Discourse, if you care, uh, because it happened on the Mount of Olives. So if you have questions about prophecy, this is a great place to begin. And we do so, I'm going to just read the whole passage that we're going to uh, look at this morning, starting with Matthew chapter 24, uh, beginning at verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, 
and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we start with question, questions about the end of the age in verses 1 through 3, if you're following the outline. And, you know, we do have a good outline on the app, if you'd like to really see, and it actually is a detailed app. The setting is in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its building, the buildings of the temple. Uh, there's a temple court area with uh, buildings and a main worship area. Now, this takes... Uh, place the last week of Jesus's life on Tuesday, which means by Friday he will be crucified. This takes place after Jesus had done some extensive teaching in the temple. And this takes place after a brutal verbal confrontation with the religious leaders in the temple. So Jesus was leaving the temple, and the disciples sought to engage him in viewing the spectacular uh, structure of the temple. And uh, this was a temple built by Herod. It started 20 years before the birth of Jesus, and it wasn't finished during the life of Jesus. Um, but it was spectacular. That's one thing Herod did was he, uh, Herod the Great was to um, build some spectacular architecture in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus gives a prediction in verse 2 with the temple building in view. He says, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone. Now, this was alarming. Not one stone here will be left on another Everyone will be thrown down. Probably take, took a little while for that to sink in. This temple? Those are big stones. I mean, who's going to throw those down? Um, this was a massive structure. Some of the largest stones. I don't know how they did it. Some of the largest stones in the area are 44 and a half feet long and 11 feet wide, weighing 517 tons, and they exist today in the Western Wall in the city of Jerusalem. So there's been quite a bit of research. There are, different, there are many different sizes of stones, but these were not anything easy to move. Sure, there were a lot smaller stones in the structure, but these were heavy. They were large. They were massive. So 
Jesus made a prediction about the future of this temple. This temple, Jesus said, is going to be torn down. It will be decimated in the future. God's temple in Jerusalem will, will face uh, a day of destruction. It certainly happened in 70 A.D. This is about 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. Six years after the temple was finally completed, Titus, the young Roman general, he's about 30 years old, but he is the leader of the Roman army, surrounds Jerusalem and lays sea, an eight-month siege, builds siege works over the wall of Jerusalem, and he decimates the city. A million Jewish people are put to death. And when they got to the temple, they didn't want to leave anything behind. And they tore it down painfully. And so that this temple wouldn't be rebuilt soon, they drug as many stones as possible to the Kidron Valley, and archaeologists have uncovered them there uh, in modern times. And so uh, Jesus said, this temple is going to be torn down. There's a prophecy that's already been fulfilled, but I don't think that's the only reference to the temple and end times that there is going to be. And so disciples now come with questions in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him. So a little bit of lag time between uh, Jesus' prophecy. Perhaps they're walking, but they do get to the Mount of Olives this is where they camped out when they went to Jerusalem. They would go out to the Mount of Olives to sleep at night. And so um, Jesus is now sitting down. Disciples came to him privately. When will this happen? They're going to ask him two questions. When will this happen? And he didn't answer this when they ask, when will this happen? And uh, but, but later, he's going to give an answer. It's not the only answer that we're going to hear about, but just let me remind you of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is after the resurrection, and it's right at the time of the ascension, and it's, he's with his disciples, and he's going to return to heaven. And he says, uh, verse 6 says, Luke records, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The Father has set by his own authority. And of course, we know verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. This is probably the outline of the book of Acts. It's how they are witnesses in all those locations. And finally, you will be a witness in Eau Claire, okay? That's a correct application. It's not an interpretation, it's an application. Um, in verse 4, we have a warning about the end of the age. And I've just separated this as a standalone. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. This will be one of the biggest problems of humanity. This will be one of the biggest problems that Christ's followers will face. Jesus warns, watch out that no one deceives you. The main issue is deception. This is about the distortion of truth. 
the presentation of an alternate reality. Deception is about manipulating ideas. I cannot stress this enough. Think about this in our own culture. How do ideas get manipulated and changed to fit what people want for the answer? Manipulating ideas specifically to steer people away. There's going to be a purpose behind this. Specifically to steer people away from the truth, especially the truth of God's word. Deception. The main source will be the devil. This is the main source of deception always. It's all, he's always been the main source of deception. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. He is God's adversary. Now, Jesus didn't explicitly say that in this passage, but he did explicitly say it in another passage, and I want to look at that. It's John 8, 44. And Jesus actually is speaking to the religious leaders, and he says, you, to, to the religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil. Those are strong words. This is one of the reasons why they wanted to kill him. They didn't like him. They didn't like what he had to say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. When was that? Genesis chapter 3. When he encountered Eve. How did he do that? What did he do? Did he scare her to death? Threaten her? No. He, he just challenged what God said. Got her to... Look at this at a little different perspective, not exactly the way God said it. And she began to rationalize on her own. But the truth got distorted. So innocent looking. That's, that's what happens today. It's happened all through history. He was a murderer from the beginning. Genesis chapter 4, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's the source of deception. He's going to be the source of deception in the end times. He's the source of deception in our world right now. Um, so, This is a warning. Deception is one of the greatest issues of our day. It is one of the greatest issues of end times. In verses 5 through 14, this is the last section, and we'll, we're just gonna, we'll lump it all together. Signs for the end of the age. And Jesus lumps these, the first part together, and he, and he calls them birth pains. They're like labor contractions. And we'll, we'll have a look here. First, we see in verse 5, um, imposters. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. There it is. Deception. Many will come and say, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the one. I'm the special one. I'm the chosen one. I'm the promised one. I'm the Christ. And they will deceive many. In my lifetime, there have been people like Reverend Sun 
Moon, who has had millions of followers, and they were called Moonies. There, there was Jim Jones, if you remember that name, former Baptist minister, became a cult leader and led people to Guyana and uh, Guyana, and uh, they were called the People's Temple in Jonestown, and then he um, had them all drink uh, Kool-Aid laced with poison, and over 900 people died. This was in 1978. And then there was Charles Manson, who claimed to be Christ. Uh, Jim Jones claimed to be Christ. And I remember seeing video clips of him making that claim. Um, Charles Manson, he claimed to be Christ, and his cult followers murdered several people in 1969. And long bowed in prison. He died in 2017 in prison. And then there was David Koresh, 1993, Waco, Texas, and the Branch Davidians. And in a confrontation with law enforcement, over 100 people of Branch Davidians died. Historically, so far, there have been over 1,100 people who have claimed to be the Christ. Sometimes I wonder, why would anybody want to claim to be the Christ? Other than Jesus. And yet, there is something very attractive there's something very powerful that draws some people into this. And sure, sometimes we can say, well, you know, they're not mentally stable. Well, sometimes people, sometimes that may be true because of the demonic power. Um, and so uh, after the uh, imposters, we go on to verses 6 and 7, and we have wars. And Jesus said, you will... You will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see it that you're not alarmed. This is like nightly news, isn't it? The whole world watches as Russia has surrounded Ukraine, and we're just waiting. What's going to happen? Uh, Such things must happen, Jesus said, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Um, We've had a lot of uh, exposure to war in our lifetimes. If you're older like me, I have a grandfather that was old enough for the Spanish-American War. It's true. My other grandfather did serve in World War I, and he was old when he served in World War I. My father and my father-in-law both served in World War II. I had good friends that served in the Korean War. A whole lot of my classmates served in the Vietnam War. We've had two Iraqi wars, one war in Afghanistan. That was, if you want to call that a war, it was a long, long time. We have a war on terrorism around the world right now. Um, Over the last 300 years in Europe, there have been over 300 wars. Jesus said, this isn't going to end. And as I see it, it's just going to continue more and more and more. In verse 7, he mentions famine. There will be famines. Uh, We've always had famines in the history of the world. But we're going to see more droughts, more famines in the future. At an 
perhaps at an accelerated pace. Um, one of the controversial things that our culture has faced the last few years is, are, are we really having global warming or climate change? There's a lot of information about this. Um, July 2021 was the hottest month in the history of the world that's been recorded over 100 years, like 120 years. It was the hottest July on record. It's anticipated that the rate we're going, the Earth's temperatures will increase 2.5 degrees up to 10 degrees Fahrenheit over the next century, whatever you want to make of that. Um, the increase in ocean temperatures will have a huge impact on more hurricanes, more flooding, um, more heat waves, and we're probably going to get more tidal waves because we're going to get more earthquakes in verse 7. And there'll be earthquakes in various places. In 2021, for example, in Texas, Texas experienced more than 200 earthquakes with a magnitude of three or above. Now, is that significant? Well, the year before, 2020, they experienced 98. So there's more than double in that year. Scientists believe that injecting huge quantities of contaminated uh, salt water deep underground is bringing pressure on the faults that um, can lead to an earthquake. In 2011, one energy study found that wastewater injected underground in the Permian Basin in Texas had quadrupled in one decade from 54 billion gallons to 217 billion gallons of wastewater injected deep under the surface. This underwater mixture of minerals, oils, and chemicals slowly increases pressure on the fault, which eventually can lead to an earthquake. I don't know if that's totally accurate or not, or it does make sense to me. Um, I'm not a scientist. But things are happening, and it seems like a lot of things are happening as it relates to this whole climate change issue that are consequences of us, of a self-centered lifestyle. In verse 8, Jesus said, this is the beginning. It's just the beginning. All of these things are the beginning of birth pains, labor contractions. Birth pains in the Old Testament was a, a concept used of human suffering like labor contractions. They signal the coming of a birth process like that. These events point to a movement toward end times. Labor contractions, and this is just a theory to me. I've not experienced this. Labor contractions grow closer together over time, and they become more intense over time. That's what Sue said. Jesus said, this is what it will be like. These things will uh, increase, and the intensity will increase. It's going to be more painful. 
In verse 9, Jesus says um, there will be per persecution. Now, think, just think about the labor contractions. As, as we get closer, we're going to have more false messiahs, more wars, more threats of wars, more famines, more earthquakes, perhaps more t tornado, perhaps more wildfires, more freaky weather patterns. Now we're seeing some of those freaky weather patterns we haven't seen before. And then persecution, verse 9. And the, Now here's, a key, I think, a key time change. Verse 9. Then, more into the future, right at end times, then, not in the birth, not in labor contractions. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, this was true for the disciples in the first century. Um, they were handed over, they were persecuted, they were executed because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. Only the Apostle John died of old age, but he was thrown into a vat of boiling oil before that, and he lived through it. I don't know how, but he was persecuted, and he was imprisoned. Jesus was speaking beyond the first century. He was speaking to the end times. This applies to Christ's followers at the end of the age. In 2020, there were uh, 2,983 recorded um, people put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that may not, they may seem like a lot, may not seem like many, because, you know, we talk about millions and billions of people. In 2021, the number rose from 2,900 to 4,761 deaths. 91% of those deaths took place in Africa. But verse 9 suggests this number would be multiplied over and over and over. All you have to do is look at Revelation chapter 7, verses uh, seven or 9 through 14. There's going to be a huge amount of people who die for their faith during the end times. In a time that we often call the tribulation, we often call it a time of great judgment on earth. I'm not going to try to address all of that this morning. There's a few other passages that we'll get to. Um, and then Jesus mentions apostasy in verses 10 through 12. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. This is another indicator of uh, end times, there will be apostasy. Apostasy means a falling away, a falling away from the faith. Those who are going to be calling themselves Christ followers, when push comes to shove, and when the stress gets uh, high, and, and when it gets too hard to be a Christian, they are going to walk away. And in the end times, this is not just going to be you know, we see this today, don't we? We see people who profess to be Christians, and at some point because of their, what things going on in their life, they, they seem to drop out of Christianity. 
But this is nothing like what we will see in the end days. Um, people who call themselves Christ followers, call themselves Christians, turn away from Jesus. But in the end times, I think there's going to be a huge apostasy. Things will be very unpleasant in the end times. Or if you, if you happen to be alive in that tribulation period, I don't plan on it, but if you happen to be there, it is going to be really, really difficult to live as a Christ follower. Verse 11, Jesus said, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of this increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Well, we see this happening in our day, don't, don't we? we? We see false teachers, false prophets. A prophet is a spokesman for God. People who say they're speaking for God, but they're distorting the truth. We're back to deception, leading people away. But according to Jesus, in the end times, this will be a huge, huge profit, problem. Uh, the Apostle Paul describes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. That's what Jesus has been getting at. Terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Well, we see that today. Lovers of money, oh, we've got that today. Boastful, yes, people are boastful. They're proud, they're abusive, and they're disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, that's all true. Without love, without agape love, without sacrifice, the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that we are to have for one another, commitment. That's what, that's what this is a hard concept for the church Today, I think, was what it really means to love one another. That is high commitment. Very same commitment I have to my wife. That's, that's what it means to love one another. It's a, now you, that's not sexual love. That's just commitment. I'm in. I'm not going away. I'm not dropping out if it gets hard. This is, I'm committed Love one another. But people's love will grow cold. They'll be unforgiving. We have that. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash. We have all that. Conceited, yes. Lovers of pleasure, oh yes. Rather than lovers of God. Having a, here it is, a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. And that's the dangerous part, having a form of godliness, looking good on the outside. Boy, the Pharisees worked really hard at that, uh, at that in the first century, looking good on the outside. They had a form of godliness to their community. And we can see this. These people whatever that form of godliness looks like at the end of the age, they will be religious people, super religious people. Now, sometimes people think, boy, if somebody's religiously committed to something, how can we ever criticize that? And when it comes to worship, it's a, is it according to truth? When it comes to salvation, is it according to truth? When it comes to the Christian life, is it according to truth? 
There will be a form, a display of deep religiosity, of deep spirituality. That's one of those other terms in our culture today. If somebody is spiritual, that's cool. Well, in the Bible, spiritual means um, very mature person being conformed to the image of Christ. Also, Paul identifies the source behind the false teaching and the false prophets in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. And he says this, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. That's the apostasy. It'll be the great apostasy. People who claim to be Christ followers will drop out, and they will follow deceiving spirits. It's going to be religious. It's going to be spiritual. Deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. You know, sometimes people just have a hard time thinking, well, how could any good religious thing have a demonic source? Paul warned us about this. Leading deception, leading away from the truth of Scripture, from the truth of who Jesus is, from the way of salvation. Um, there is a spiritual power that's sourced in the demonic. It is real, and it's active today. A real spiritual power. So when you see some major religions that have some good ideas in them and they leave out Jesus and they leave out the way of salvation and they leave out God's commands for the Christian life and God's command to love him, the true and living God, and no one else, it's easy for the scriptures, it's easy for the true and living God to be distorted. The good news is we have mission fulfillment in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, but before mission fulfillment, some hard things happen. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The challenges that Christ's followers face in the end times are going to be multiplied many times over what you and I are facing today here in America. And there's, there's going to be a great apostasy. People are falling away because they really weren't born again. They really weren't committed. And genuine Christ followers are going to have to lean into God and rise to the surface and represent Christ and shine brightly to a very dark world in the end times. And those who do that are the ones that will be saved because they were genuinely born again. In verse 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations. Now, we've made some good progress along the way, but we still have a long way to go to get the gospel to all nations. But there's going to be some supernatural things that are going to happen that attract people to the gospel. And those people who are standing firm to the end will be shining brightly for Jesus, even though they may not have all of the, the, the world's um, accessories and 
the good life, uh, they're going to shine for Jesus. They're going to represent him well. And, and, and the gospel is going to be proclaimed. And then the end will come. There will be extreme human suffering. And then the end will come. So I just want to ask one question as we, uh, as we think about this today, because there's a lot of like, negative stuff about the future. It's not all negative. We're gonna, we have a lot to look at in the days ahead. But how can we respond to this? How, how are we to live? Francis Schaeffer had a great book called How Then Should We Live? 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 15 um, is helpful. The Apostle Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus, re is re Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That's what Peter's talking about. He's talking about the return of Christ. This, this is how we are to live until Jesus returns. But we're to not get focused and bogged down by everything around us. Yeah, we've got to deal with life. It's important. But we have a greater hope. We have a greater future. We have greater resources. And we'll experience fully the grace to be brought when Jesus is revealed at his coming. Next slide. As obedient children, because we're children of God. We, we belong to the family of God. There's a certain kind of behavior that goes with the family. Children of God. How, how does somebody, a child of God is born again, born of God. There's a spiritual life and a spiritual connected. We have resources. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The Apostle Paul would attest, boy, we have desires now that can turn us away from God. We, we have an old nature and we have a new nature. Our capacity, an old nature is the capacity to serve self, please self, desire to, to make me number one. And then we also have a capacity, a new nature, a capacity to please God. Uh, that, that nature that was given at our salvation, the one that identifies us as children of God, citizens of heaven, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have a whole new life. We have new resources. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, assuming that you're not trying to follow your old life. Now, we have a complicated one, and I think, in our country. And uh, this is sort of like, this is what happens when... If, so, I came to faith that... 25. So I know what my old li life was like. It was dark. I needed a conversion. And it was awesome to experience God's forgiveness. My children were raised in a Christian home. I wasn't. My children had a chance to come to faith at a very young age. They did profess faith at a very young age. They got to grow up with a lot of Christian stuff and, you know, being exposed to church and all the things that go with having to be in church every Sunday if you're the pastor's kid. And so that old life is not quite the same as my old life. I mean, you know, the, the life they had as a toddler 
or a preschooler is, they didn't get too far into evil. But we still have an old nature and a new nature, and the old nature still can mature and get grow with life and experience and exposure to the pleasures of this world and the desires of this world. And there's this war going on. And so Peter says, don't conform your evil desires that you used to when you lived in ignorance. We have become a new family, and we ought to live like the family of God. And then verse 15, this is a hard one. But just as he who called you is holy, this is right out of Leviticus, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy. It's that simple, right? In all that you do, be holy. So we get this warning, don't conform to evil desires, but be holy. If you're a Christ follower, you are a child of God. You have been redeemed from slavery to sin. You were bought with a price, a price that was paid by Jesus himself in person when he died on the cross. And it was for you. 2,000 years ago, the infinite God died for you when you would be born in the 20th century or the 21st century. I don't think we have anybody here born in the 19th century. Bought with a price. And Peter tells us, God has called us to be holy. It's like the nature of God. And to be holy means to be set apart for him. It's like, okay... But it's like some kind of change here. It's like taking, this is where I am, and now I want to be set apart. I want to be for God. And it's, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, at the temple, they, they, they dedicated their worship utensils. You've heard me say this before. So, like, if you had an ash bucket that, you were, that they used to carry ashes out of the temple after sacrifices, that ash bucket had to be made holy before you could use it. Because if it weren't made holy before you use it, they, you can't use it. And they would wash it to make it clean, but they would also, um, they, they had a ceremonial cleansing of it to, to, just to earmark that this is God's ash bucket, and um, it's only going to be used for him, so we can't contaminate it in any way. And then it, had, it was used for one purpose. And now we come to the New Testament, and God wants that to be us. He wants us to be designated to him, to set apart. And so when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we get a fresh start. We get a, we get a reboot. But, hey, we're not perfect, are we? We still sin. And the great thing is God has made that provision that we can be cleansed every day. We can get a do-over every day. And some of you, well, I shouldn't need a do-over every day. Oh, you probably do. I do. I need a fresh start maybe several times a day. Depends on how I'm getting along and at home. 
get a fresh start. And you have to, how do you do that? Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, if, condition, we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. We get cleansed by God and we get a do-over. Now we have the chance to be holy. Now we're ready to be set apart. Now we're ready to go all in for God. It's your choice. Nobody can make you do that. So Jesus has given us a whole lot of information about what's coming in the future. He's warned us. We know a lot of facts. We know who's going to win in the end. And right now, he wants us to be ready to be holy. Will you be ready? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for um, Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and all the information we have about future things. Help us as we uh, process this in the days ahead and as we think about the passage this morning. Help us to think about what kind of people we need to be that we could look forward to the day when Jesus returns and that would be exciting for us. That would give us hope. Not to be surprised or embarrassed, but to live with that expectation, with that hope, with the strength that comes from living for you. It's hard to understand that we could be a holy people, and yet you say we can, and that's what you want. Help us, for Jesus' sake, amen.